I V M. Hi, you're listening to IVM Daily. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of IVM Daily. I have with me Joel Pereira, who is probably one of the most politically aware people I have ever met in my life. And uh, we're going to get, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these elections that just happened because we felt that on IVM Daily, we should occasionally mix up all the dating and other kinds of chats with like, you know, some real political talk. <laughs> Thanks, Amit. It's good to be here. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, BJP, Congress and all the rest of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on what happened? BJP went 0 and 5 for this election. Yeah, BJP did go 0 and 5. It'd be fairer to say BJP went 0 and 3 okay. because I don't think they were in any contention uh, in Tenangana or in uh, Mizoram. Okay. Um, but Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, those were like huge losses for them. Considering and they've been incumbent in all three of those, right? They've been incumbent incumbent for all. I think they were in Chhattisgarh for 13 years. Okay. They was in they were in Madhya Pradesh for the last 15 years. Right. They were in Rajasthan for the last five years. Vasundra Vasundra right. Rajay's last term. Right, right, yeah, right. So big losses for them. I think the bigger loss, uh, and which is why it's even more significant, is because these are what they call the Hindi Hindu Hindutva states. Okay. Right, like especially Chhattisgarh, that is basically the heartland. Can you say right? that again? Hindi Hindu Hindutva. Hindi Hindu Hindutva. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Those are that's the heartland state. Okay. Like, it's literally Madhya Pradesh, it's in right. the center yeah, of the center. country. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Rajasthan on one side and Chhattisgarh on the other. Right. And uh, this is where they are. They they think that they derive their maximum support from. Right. Right. Because. You know, if these if these kind of wins happened in the south or say in the northeast or, you know, maybe even West India like uh, Maharashtra, they would, people would be like, okay, you know, these are industrialized states, right. these are relatively progressive states and so on and so forth. And, you know, Hindutva hasn't been a big thing as mm. much as say like, you know, uh, Rajasthan and right. Uh, MP. Right. So, you know, maybe their wins would have been a little less significant because you know, Maharashtra flip-flops and uh, the South though, has never been Hindu right, to begin right. with. But to lose in these three states, like the next, it would be as big as like losing in Uttar Pradesh so or do Haryana. You, do you think it's local factors or do you think it's national fatigue or what, what do you think is going on here? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Okay, I think, uh, I think no one is taking the agrarian crisis as seriously as they should be. Okay. Right? So the Congress is to some extent because that was their main plank. Right. But when I say no one, I mean all the other players as well, like for instance, the BJP or um, the the media in its reportage. Uh, there's a section of media who thinks that this was a victory for uh, secular forces, which right. I don't believe. Um, because at the end of the day, it's your pocketbook that matters. Right more than anything else and these three states are deeply agrarian mm. right I mean uh, I don't know about Rajasthan I'm actually I'm pretty sure Rajasthan MP and Chhattisgarh I think 70% of their population are rural I would think so I, I, I would not be surprised with that kind of number at all right because yeah. uh, again uh, India generally is 50% plus rural and these yeah. three states at least perception wise I can't think of that many like huge massive industrial cities or centers or stuff yeah. like that. It's not yeah. that they don't exist, but yeah. I mean like, you know, they're still fairly uh, like the biggest cities in Rajasthan are places like Jaipur and Udaipur, right? In, and uh, also the problem with these three states is that unlike say a Tamil Nadu or a Maharashtra, where there's a decent level of industrialization, um, 
a state like MP has a very inelastic labor market. It can't like you know if farmers are struggling, it's not like okay there, there's this extra workforce is going to be absorbed somewhere else. Like traditionally, extra extra farm labor has always been found work in construction, right? For instance, you know, or low uh, low skill industrial work. And these three states, except for some pockets in Rajasthan, you know, closer to Delhi, the Rico area, some pockets in Uttar in Madhya Pradesh. These are not industrialized states. Right. So farming is still the primary mode of everyone's earning. Right. right. And when the farms fail, everyone fails. Yeah, that's a... Uh, but I think uh, you'd also notice that there is a... There's a tendency in some of these states to, uh, or rather there's a tendency in the country at large, right? Uh, and in these states particularly to romanticize farming beyond what uh, the job or what it actually is, right? The opportunities it actually provides. And uh, by making it so that these people, uh, the, that the people who are existing in these states don't have that kind of mobility in terms of occupation, I, I think that adds a lot to these issues, right? And of I course, think, yeah. of course it does. So yeah, there's, again, you know, we are, our perception of farming comes from the, what we look out from, like when we're driving through, like, play over it from a train or fly over country as they call it in the west and the where you're literally Bollywood uh, romanticization right? yeah parochial <laughs> view of farming right. like almost fetishistic view of mm-hmm. farming the left too mm-hmm. right has romanticized farming because they are you know the entire Jai Jawan Jai Kisan thing and uh, what's strange what's happening now in, in, the, in view of all these losses in the last three or four days actually not the last three or four days but the narrative is really strengthening them now is that the Hindu right-wing ecosystem is calling the is calling this a narrative okay. that the left is creating that you know the farmers are not actually struggling the farmers are uh, lazy or you know that they don't deserve what they want or they don't deserve what they get right and um, you know because they point to these schemes that the government has created the right-wing these, is doing this yes the the internet ecosystem the internet right wing yes the internet ecosystem the is doing this Hindu right now the keyboard warriors yeah yes that's what they're doing right now like and they started doing this like i i don't know if you you've we've been we've been in bombay for a long time having a farmers march in bombay for me at least was a little unprecedented it hasn't happened right. for a very 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 long time i mean we've had social unrest but that was mostly like mischief makers from the mns or the shiv sena you know burning buses or whatnot right in I was just reading up about this before I got here, and in Bombay, Delhi, and Calcutta, in the last year, we've had twelve major farmer protests. Okay. The most recent in Delhi, where a lack of farmers turned up. Right. Hundred thousand farmers turned up in Delhi. Not even to like you know like earlier on when we had these farmer protests, it was a certain community of farmers demanding a certain thing. Right. Like free electricity, like, you know, the Jat um, upheavals in Delhi a couple of years ago, the Gujar-based upheavals for like uh, land uh, acquisition and so against land acquisition and so on and so forth. Right. But this was overall farmers just coming to big cities and saying, hey man, hear us out. Hmm. We are in trouble. Right. You know, and when the when the farmers march happened in Delhi, I think two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. it was barely covered. In the, in the national media. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like, I remember hearing about the Bombay. There was another farmer's march yeah, in Bombay, right? happened in March, yeah. yeah. And I remember hearing a lot about it at that point in time. But uh, this Delhi one, mm. I, it just kind of came and went. I knew about it because we spoke about it on some other stuff. But, yeah. uh, but I was kind of like, wow, okay. And it's a big deal, right? Yeah, 100,000 yeah. is not a small number. It's not a small number. And these are people for whom 
mobilizing these people is not easy it's not because it's difficult for you to if you if you live in a village it's difficult for you to get to the city leave right. your home and leave your, your farm. land your farm and yeah. come to the city and you know and protest about something right and their demands are extremely reasonable can you uh, outline some of them so that people have an idea what it's kind mostly, of it's mostly it's mostly the msp mm-hmm. right it's mostly a, a they want to cut a lot of the red tape out because the government has created a lot of these bimas and yojanas mm. and for instance farm insurance and mm. um, a minimum price uh, point right a minimum sale point sorry which the is minimum uh, supply uh, something isn't it the uh, support pricing support pricing minimum sorry support price, yes. minimum support pricing which the farmers are not getting right and in a state like telangana mm. where uh, they won that government told the farmers we are just going to give you cash Okay. You know we're not going to do any of this nonsense. Right. Every time if you know every with every uh, uh with every harvesting season we're going to give you a certain amount of money. Interesting. And yeah, there's a lot of theory around that, right? In terms of how what is the best way to kind of deliver governmental services, right? And mm-hmm. uh I've read a lot of theories where cash is simply the best, right? Because yeah. then what 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 you do from that is that the person gets to spend the money the way they need to spend it. Yeah. And uh there's a lot of kind of uh virtue signaling around this right where people are like no you can't do this because they will go and they will spend all their money i i virtue signaling is the wrong word but uh, they'll go and spend the money on booze and they'll waste it and this and that right so i mean like that is never been a very uh, cogent argument in my head i think that's a very conservative argument yeah. because conservatives i i feel uh, emotionally tend to look at everything from a very jaundiced point of view okay i mean that is the conservative right i mean right. you want to preserve what you have and these arguments come up we've seen them in america mm-hmm. with the medicare or you know food stamps right. or social security where you have the christian republican conservatives talking about oh everyone will be lazy and you know pull up mm-hmm. your bootstraps and welfare queen and right, so on and right. so forth in india that argument is beginning to happen yeah. now among certain sections of the urban classes mm-hmm. where they believe that you know farmers deserve less a farmer shouldn't get uh, you know farmer should be part of the free market and the market decides and so on and so forth i think farmers need to be more participatory in the markets i mean like, i do think that no, as well i agree well. too i agree too but i think it's to their benefit if they are right because right now what happens is that when they know that there's an msp for a certain crop they're kind of uh, they're kind of forced into that particular crop mm. right uh whereas they're not making decisions based on what is the best output for the land what's going to what's gonna, what, what, what the decisions are not based on that and that in that it introduces a negative external externality in this in this context see i think amit it's a little more complex than that hmm. and this is a, a mistake that a lot of us sitting in the cities make uh turning around a crop hmm. or deciding what crop you're going to uh, farm that year is not a, an easy decision making process right. right and these guy these farmers are not being backed by technology they're not being backed by modern practices you know if you're a if you're an industrial farm in delaware or in like iowa hmm. let's say you know if you're part of the cargill enterprise and tomorrow cargill realizes oh my god so we're going to switch we're not going to do corn this year we're going to do soy right it's easy for them right right when you have literally the entire country of uh, or the entire state of iowa growing the same crop right. on the other hand in india we have you know uh, fractured farms we don't have that much mechanization our uh, farmers are not necessarily you know plugged in into the global uh, commodities market mm-hmm. where they may be like okay we're not going to order this year we're going to do tour right or we're going to grow masoor instead of uh, peas mm-hmm. you know so it's very easy for us to sit and say that you know this are these are th- they need support that has to i mean 
like we were talking about it earlier, right? The free market is only free if it's fair. Right. And uh, to say that farmers should be entering the commodities market, should be entering the open market, it can't just happen immediately. No, it's not. I'm not expecting it to happen immediately, but I want them to have the ability to make choices, right? Mm. And I think that that is something right now which they are constrained from doing. Mm. Uh, because of the way the uh, because of the way certain things are structured, right? Whether it is uh, MSP, whether it is having to sell at these uh, certain markets only, right? Having to that do- has been. Uh, removed. It's changed in some places. The APMC, I, yeah, no, the I, APMC Act in a lot of places has been removed. It's a state by state thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's state by state. So thing. I mean, like yeah. it's it's uh, it's no longer there in Maharashtra. Yeah. And it's no longer there in a few other states. Yeah. But nationwide as a whole, it's not kind of yeah. there. And I think uh, I think things like these, right? What these do is they uh, they create a much higher degree of power in the middleman than in the supplier or the producer. Producer. And I think that is a... uh, It also ties into things like, for instance, direct investment into the cold chain. Yeah. Right? Which uh, foreign companies like, say, Carrefour or a Tesco or a Safeway have the technology and the know-how on how to do these things. We don't. We Mm -hmm. obviously don't. I mean, at least 30% of our wet wet stock, as in the sense, when I say wet stock, you know, fruits and vegetables? Right. Rot. Before yeah. they reach the market, which yeah. is criminal. It's insane. Yeah. Considering the prices we pay for these yeah. things, it is insane. So that so once you have these investments made, you know, in a proper cold chain in foods in 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 securing your your food stocks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then I think you can begin to uh, talk about uh, you know farmers entering the market or dealing with themselves right. or whatever. I think, uh, but but I I do think that you will start seeing more and more because I, I was listening to a. And I'm sorry, I just I don't want to interrupt you, but we actually have a very successful collectivization program. Mm-hmm. It's called Amul. Yeah, you that's know? true. It's a very very successful collectivization program. It is. It, Amul essentially runs all dairy. Yeah, and it's it's not tainted. Huh. You know with. The issues that there's no reason why you cannot have a similar program for rice or wheat. Agreed. As as Amul has done for dairy. Agreed. Agreed. Know? Agreed. I I think that makes it. Yeah, actually, I guess that makes a ton of sense. That, yeah. That yeah. Because right. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of free market um, enthusiasts will talk about you know collectivization bad. You're so polite. <laughs> enthusiasts. <laughs> collectivization bad, and you know. A free market good, but huh. we actually have a really good example of a really positive example of where these where both of them have been merged. Right. Right with Amul because they are selling their product on the free market because they have, there is competition in the dairy industry. Right. But at the same time, at the base level, they have collectivized. They have collectivized this, yeah. yeah and I think, but, but that's a that, that's a really interesting kind of way to kind of look at the model, right? Because yeah. the access to the market and the fact that uh, pricing is determined by market and stuff like that that brings in certain efficiencies in terms of the on the demand side, right? Yes. But from the supply side, what you're doing is most of the people who are involved in the supply side are traditionally in the disadvantaged areas of society. Yep. So by providing them a certain collectivization kind of this, you're being able to, yeah, it's best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and it's 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 working so yeah. far. Yeah. It's- All right, uh, let's take a quick break and then let's come back and let's talk a little bit about like the elections instead of going off on these farming tangents. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, we're back. And so uh, we went on quite a long discussion about farming. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I wanted to ask you like about this election mm-hmm. uh, specifically, right? And um, 
So one of the things I was looking at over here is that, uh, and this is something that I kind of feel, right? I feel like young leaders in this country are generally marginalized. Okay. I think that uh, I remember when Mother Ross India died and he was called a young leader. And I was like, ah, yeah, young leader. And then I saw he's 57 years old. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like that does not seem particularly young to me. Hmm. Uh, what we're seeing right now is uh, in um, uh, Rajasthan, we're seeing a fight between Gelot and Sachin Pilot. Yeah. And in uh, Madhya Pradesh, we're seeing a fight between Kamal Nath and uh, Jyotiraditya Sindhya. Yeah. In both cases, at least in the case of Jyotiraditya Sindhya, he has conceded to Kamal Nath. Kamal Nath is going to be the acting CM in mm-hmm. the K- or is going to be the CM for uh, MP. Uh, and the conversation between Gelot and uh, Pilot is still, or, or rather, the discussions over there are still going. What do you think about this? What do you, What are your thoughts? Do you think that we do this to our young leaders? I don't think it's intentional because there are plenty of young leaders who have actually succeeded. I mean, okay. outside of, uh, say, and in India, you have to just agree that all a lot of young leaders are dynasts, right? So that they is, have that, 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 that That's the, I mean, like, we're, what are the last names we just used, right? Yeah, Pilot exactly. Pilot India. It's like, for instance, Omar Abdullah was very young yes, when he, he became chief minister of yes, Kashmir. And there were lots of senior Kashmiri uh, or people, from, uh, politicians from Jammu and Kashmir who could have been uh, uh, CM, right. but he was chosen. Devendra Fadnavis is quite young. He is quite young. And again, in the Maharashtra, the BJP ecosystem, there are plenty of older people they could have chosen. That is true. Uh, Jalalita was very young when she became CM of Tamil Nadu hmm. back in the 80s for the first time. So I think it's, it's. I don't think you can generalize as far as whether we make our young, we, we penalize our, our young politicians. Rajiv Gandhi was, I think, 43 when uh, he became Prime Minister of India. Interesting. Well, I, I, except for Fandavis and Jalalita, I think every other person you're talking about is family, though. His family, yeah, yeah. that's right. So, no, that's 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 true because that's that's a, what I that was a caveat to my point that yeah. you know that you have to consider the dynasty because there are, a lot of them are. Do you think internal uh, political democracy or internal party democracy helps with this to an extent? Because I mean, uh, there was an interesting story about how Rahul Gandhi asked uh, the party workers. Uh, what they, uh, who they should, uh, who should be the C- uh, CM yeah, for their particular yeah, state, yeah. right? Do you think that helps or do you think that I'm just barking up a tree which has no point to it? I think in any political party, the balance is always between funding and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You know, among your, and funding is from the old. Right. And enthusiasm is from the young people. Okay. Well, as in any political party or structure or system, that's how it normally works. I mean, that's what normally works, right? Right. And um, finding that balance between between enthusiasm and uh, and funding is what they are doing right now. Funding and also uh, relationships. Hmm. I mean, Gaylord or Kamal Nath, just by virtue of the fact that they've been alive longer, know more people. They know more people. And, and they've both been like, they're, 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 they're not exactly like, you know, people who are just rising through the party lines. They both have done, signif- done they're both significant accomplishments. Yeah. I mean, Kamal Nath has been a chief minister before. Hmm. Uh, Gaylord too. Yeah. So it's not as if they are... Um, they are being propped up by, you know, by some sort of old guard of the right. party or whatever. So I don't think, um, I mean, a lot of people say it and, and that's a lot of times that's a narrative also, mm. but the media knows who they're pandering to. So Right. Which is, I guess, younger people. Younger people. Yeah. yeah. So to me, one of the things that comes across in this thing, right, uh, one of the reasons why I feel that we should uh, try and empower more uh, younger uh, leaders particularly is, the world has changed so much in the last 30, 40 years, right? I mean, like, it's just completely different in so many different ways. I mean, 35 years ago, we didn't have color TV in this country. Yeah. And uh, now today, every third person is walking around with, like, a 4G connection in his pocket, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and I and every other person has a cell phone. Well, yeah, every yeah. everybody has a cell phone. Yeah. I think it's like seventy percent, seven hundred yeah. million, seven eight hundred million connections. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, idea that uh, somebody who has spent more than half his life in a era where media was not important, mm-hmm. particularly where you could control narratives in ways that are almost impossible to imagine today, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think that the you know, and I, I I'm not trying to be ageist over here, but I do think that. Uh, the skills for uh, thriving in a modern world are things that are probably, and you want optimal performance here, right? Yeah. And I feel like that optimization happens with people. And I'm not saying kids. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying get a 25 year old as chief minister, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like you know, with people who are more familiar with what's going on on a day to day basis, who are not as isolated from. Uh, and technology is just one piece of it, right? Mm. I mean, like cultural mores have changed so much and mm. all mm. of this stuff, right? So, I mean, like how uh, – to me, that I think is an interesting uh, or an important factor in terms of why I think it's more important that young people are empowered more. I would agree with you, but then I would also disagree with you because I would say that we are in a representative democracy mm-hmm. and young people don't vote that much. In, in which case, screw them. In, 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 yeah. in Bombay, in yeah. India, sorry, yeah. or even globally, I mean, yeah. the global trend – is that young people don't vote as much as old people do. And mm. if we and which is why a lot of times the social mores that you're talking about right. appear last in politics. Right. Right. Because like for instance in the US, most people were okay with homosexuality in the early nineties. Yeah. Right? Most people were okay with gay marriages in the early two thousand. Yep. And yet it took till twenty thirteen before it, the Supreme Court and still no politician would touch it. Yeah. Did the Supreme Court, you know, a switch of eight, like the like three seven seven in India, mm-hmm. and I think that's because there aren't enough young people voting, and there aren't enough young people representing them. So mm. I would agree that there need to be younger people in in politics, but I don't think it's as bad as uh, I don't think it's 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 holding us back in any way. Because yes, so I I'm in the business of content, right? right. I create I create content. I've been doing it for many many years, and I've always believed. That the medium changes, but the messages kind of remain the same, mm. you know. And I think if you're an older, older leader or an older politician who recognizes that fact, who's like, okay, you know, it's not like Sachin Pilot is saying anything new. Mm. He's saying it in new ways, right? From a new face, right? But he's not necessarily like you know, he doesn't have any groundbreaking revolutionary ideas, you know, which which have come to him because he's young, right? Right. Every politician since the last hundred years has has known and valued the importance of mass communication. Mm-hmm. It's not like you know uh, the internet just appeared yesterday, and before that we were using smoke signals. No, we've no, of course had, not. Yeah, we've had different different methods of communication. Whether Roosevelt did the fireside chats, whether Narendra Modi is doing the monkey bath on the radio, I don't know if that's necessarily. I a, think there are significant differences. I mean, like from a pure communication theory perspective, I think there's significant differences between. Uh, what was then the broadcast kind of this, where mm. you have essentially one-to-many transmission, mm-hmm. whereas over here what you have is you probably you have one-to-many, but then you're responded with many-to-one. And there's an immediacy to, you know, I mean, like yeah, from, from, yeah, from, yeah. from a purely kind of like, you know, theoretical perspective in terms of how communication occurs. Okay, no, I was looking at it from the overall message versus right. like, you know, the day-to-day communication. No, the reason I bring that up is because mm. I think that the, uh, the, the fact that the methodology of communication changes, yeah. I think what that does is that requires different skills is a very strong word, but mm. different emphases are required in terms of how you do your communication. Yeah. I'll give you an example from the U.S. elections, okay? 
there was Barack Obama in 2008 mm-hmm. who was not very internet savvy mm-hmm. but was at that time I think 43 years old yeah when he was elected for the first time something in 2008 like I think yeah I think maybe a little younger than that early, something late, like that early 40s early 40s let's say early 40s yeah. who is not big on tweeting and so mm-hmm. on and so forth and then you have someone like Donald Trump right. who who started his his political ascendancy when he was 70 years old right right and it happened because of twitter hmm. so interesting you couldn't think that you wouldn't say barack obama is not savvy he no. is he is very but right. it was a medium he chose to he, he, he i don't know if he chose to ignore or wasn't he familiar with wasn't comfortable with well i mean like twitter started in 2007 he became president in 2008 so it's I'm, not i'm using twitter as an example yeah. but there were other i mean so web 2.0 had so happened so web 2.0 had happened and he used the web very effectively but it wasn't driven by him it was driven no, by it was driven people, by his supporters yeah, yeah. It was driven by supporters but the point is that either way the result was the same he won the election both times right. even though so what i'm trying to say is that even an older person you might not be technologically savvy as long as you identify that right. and i guess if you can get people to do it for you hmm. i think i don't think i think that bridge can be gapped yeah interesting okay yeah i i don't uh, disagree with that i think that, that or why am i using obama and trump modi, modi and yeah. rahul gandhi yeah. rahul gandhi got on twitter 2 years ago yeah exactly and, and modi got on twitter in 2011 yeah, a long time ago yeah. and he's been very effective on yeah. it so yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And Rahul Gandhi is now considered to have like some decent ideas and well that's because he's got a good team it really it, exactly he, yeah yeah you can uh, interesting yeah uh okay all right uh i think i'll buy that i i th- i think i'll agree with that um that age is not as big a deal as i'm making it out to be i i don't th- see uh the problem that i have is something that we haven't brought up it's the reverence for age that's a whole that i have an issue with right? i have a whole i have a whole problem with reverence in general yeah No, and especially in this context with age, yeah. because Indians are taught to respect your elders, etc. Yeah. Reverence is not automatic, right? It, respect isn't automatic. It, it has to be earned. earned, and it doesn't matter if you're like forty or seventy. Mm-hmm. It still has to be earned, mm-hmm. and that is my. But I doubt the Congress is going to make a Chief Minister decision based entirely on who they respect more. I I don't think they're doing it that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I don't think they're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But I also do think that. Um, deference to age is a part of the calculus right because among their constituents uh not necessarily yeah amongst their constituents yeah. uh, um, um, amongst the people who they are trying to so they're playing into that narrative of deferring to age right yeah. that uh, your wise grandfather is the prime minister correct you know or the chief minister yeah. so i mean like they're, they're they're definitely playing into that narrative yeah, yeah. awesome joel that was fun Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting fun conversation. This is probably one of the longer IVM dailies that we do. <laughs> Most of these episodes are like 12 minutes long. And today but, was Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, okay. we're close to uh, 25 30 minutes. So, yeah, but it was a fun conversation and uh guys, I hope you enjoyed it. and uh where can people reach out to you on social media? Do they do you do social media or I'm are you not, I am on social so media. So you're Rahul, you're really. like the Rahul Gandhi type? Yeah, I need someone to handle it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I need Divya Spandana to handle it for me. All right. Uh so Joel is uh not on social media in an effective way i guess yeah, i am on social media i think my twitter account is parera joel okay uh, at parera joel so tweet at him if you disagree with anything you say or if you agree with everything he says yeah. and you probably will not get an answer <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all right thank you guys thank you so much